<coughs> John chapter 10, and then we'll read verse 1 through 18. This is the famous passage where Jesus Christ uh, describes himself to be the good shepherd. And for his sheep, which is us, enjoying the sheepfold, enjoying the pasture, being with him. In order to attain true joy, we must go by the shepherd's way. But there are thieves, there are hirelings, there are other open doors in this life that want to take away our joy from us. Now, there is no doubt that in our Christian life and in this church, God has blessed us. Like we've heard uh, one of our brothers praying and then one of our brothers singing, truly, the longer we serve him, the sweeter he grows. I mean, it's a blessed thing what you and I have. We are far beyond blessed. We are, I mean, this church, we wouldn't trade for a million dollars. I mean, what are the odds of everybody's lives, what they've been through, the sacrifices that were pulled that contributed to this very meeting today where we are? Everyone's talent, skill, and their works and their labors to produce this called Bible Baptist Church in the Bay Area. What a beautiful thing that only God, the uh, mastermind, the intelligent potter, the craftsman could create. It's such a blessed thing. And there is no doubt that in your lives and in my lives, and there have been people who talk to me about it, but that the devil wants to steal and ruin any piece in this masterpiece that God has created. We absolutely must refuse anything out there, anything out there to take away the joy that you and I have just experienced today. And I hope that this sermon will speak to you. The Bible says in John 10 verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Title of my message today is, What's in Your Sheep Pen? Let's pray. Uh, Father, fill within me the power of your Holy Spirit and the cleansing blood and all of you to preach this message uh, in right timing, but in the right spirit and not ruin your work, Lord. Your masterpiece is continuing upon our lives and especially in this preaching, will you help me? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, my first point is the other way of the sheep pen. The other way of the sheep pen. If you look at verse 1, notice there are other ways into the sheep pen. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. So notice right here, there's not only one way into the sheep pen. Now don't get me wrong, there is only one way. There is only one door to get inside the sheep pen. But notice that people ignore the one way, the one door, and find other ways. And notice what it says right there. They do get inside the sheep pen when they go around that door. 
They can get inside the sheep pen. They don't have to go that way. They go by some other way. You know, when somebody offers you another way into the sheep pen, into the blessings and the joys of life, we automatically assume that because it's not going through that one door, that one way, that God specifically dictated us to go through, but we found some other way that other people went through. Other ways in life where they're enjoying God's blessings even inside the sheep pen. But God specifically called that a thief. They're a thief. So do you know what a thief does? A thief, according to the Bible, the word of God, his job in verse 10 is that he only comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So the thing is this, we get deceived when we see, and yeah, we do see another way, other ways to get inside the sheep pen. Sheep are dumb creatures. We don't know everything. We heard from God there's only one door, one way. But look, so-and-so was able to not go by that one way and get in some other way to enjoy the blessings inside the sheep pen. Why can I not do that? So as the dumb sheep, when we see the thief doing that, and that thief offers us, look, the other way that I went to, you know, the job opportunity that I picked. You know, uh, your Bible-believing church teaches this to attain joy, but, you know, uh, pastor teaches good stuff, don't get me wrong, but I disagree, blah, blah, blah. And there's another way that you can be happy and how God blessed my life. And then depression and sin always kicks in. Worry and fear always kicks in and insists that there must be some other way to resolve this issue. You can go through endless counseling from brethren and Bible-believing preachers, but then you always assume there must be some other way. It's not enough. My friend, there is only one way, and that is enough. There is no other way. The Bible says there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. My friend, there's only one way to attain your joy, and that's God's way. And if you refuse to go God's way, and you assume, no, there is another way. I saw it. I actually saw it. Remember that. Remember this. That other way you saw is a thief ready to kill, to steal your joy. Because you know that's true. Haven't you tried that other way and that didn't satisfy you? And you keep assuming endlessly, well, there must be another way. And when that doesn't work, there must be another way. How many other ways can you go after that? See, you deceived yourself. You know what they've done? Those other ways to joy, they deceived you. They've stolen you from God's blessings. See that? They've killed God's blessings in your life. And that's the reason why some of you are going through sadness, hardship, and you don't experience the answered prayer, God's blessings upon your life. Why? Because the thief stole you from them. The thief killed you from them. Why? Because you assume in your head there's some other way. There's some other way. A lot of times when we lose these blessings, we go, oh man, I mean, and then we get right with God. Or it's hard for us to go back to God because we know that we have to reap what we sow and we feel like we already lost the blessing, so we have to start from A to Z again and work hard to regain God's blessings again. But my friend, didn't you know that the thief doesn't steal the sheep pen? 
He don't steal the pasture. He don't steal the joy, the blessings in the sheep pen. The thief, the Bible says, he is not there to steal the sheep pen. He's intended to steal you. So the idea is this. Here's the sheep pen of God's blessings. It's always been there. It never got eradicated. It was never stolen. It's always been there. The thief only stole you. The thief stole you out of the blessings of the sheep pen. And here you are, a lost sheep, wandering sheep, trying to find some other way to God's blessings. And you assume that God's blessings left your life. My friend, you'd be surprised the blessings are still there. All you have to do is just, it was always there back at church. It was always there back with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It was always back there at the word of God. It was always back there at your quiet time with the Lord. It was always right there in your home, in your life. You just refused to see it. My friend, the devil did not steal the blessings from you. Most of the times you'd be realizing that actually the devil only stole you from the blessings. The blessings always been there. So all you have to do is go back. Just go back to the house of God. Just go back to, in your life with Jesus Christ. Just go back with your walk with Jesus Christ. Just go back to the blessings of God. And just enjoy a good time and rejoice and give glory to the Savior. And just live life to the fullest. That's all you have to do. Who stole your joy? Who stole your joy? The thief. The devil. But actually, he didn't steal your joy. See? The joy was always there. He just stole you from the joy. You just need to go back. That's all you have to do. Will you go back? Notice in verse 2 through 3. 2 through 3. The Bible says, But he that entereth in by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. You know, the shepherd's job is to go through the door, and then take care of the sheep as they go out. And many times... Many times when we're inside that sheep pen, we are discontented. We're not happy. We question God's blessings upon our lives. I wonder if it's truly the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. It don't seem that way. And the reason why we follow the thief is because the thief is taking us out of that sheep pen. And we think that the grass is greener on the other side, not the one that we're staying in. And so we listen to the thief And those thieves have robbed us the blessings of God on our lives because we assume there's something better out there. It's always out there, there's something better. Always out there, there's something better. My friend, we already established, it doesn't get better out there. It's an endless cycle. You just need to get back in the blessings of God. We assume in our minds, all we got, the blessings of God, is in here, in this sheep pen. And that's why you feel trapped, you feel discontented, and you want something more out there. My friend, didn't you know that, yes, we believe that all you need, all that sufficient of God's blessing is inside the sheep pen. You don't want to get out. But didn't you know, the shepherd, his job is not to just give you the blessings in the sheep pen. Did you read that verse? He leads them out. Did you read verse 9? Did you read verse 9? The Bible says in verse 9, I am the door by me if any man shall enter in. He shall be saved and shall go what? In and out. 
and find pasture. My friend, the, you limit your Christian life. You think your Christian life is limited to the singing, to the shouting, to the joys, through fellowship, through brethren praying for you, through God providing all your needs, through all things work together for good, and then a deep peace inside that no one else can give to you. You think that's all there is to it inside the sheep pen? Man, my friend, that's good enough. I don't know why you would be discontented, but don't worry, my friend. God promised even more than that. He promised that he will even even get you things, good things outside of the sheep pen. Has there not been things in your life where God has blessed you immensely outside of the sheep pen? Not just in the sheep pen. Outside of the Christian life, outside of church. There were things in the world out there God has blessed you that you didn't deserve. Things out there that are not Christian that you would probably think secular, that God has even blessed in your life. My friend, God has promised you unlimited, not limited. God has promised you unlimited blessings. In and out, I find the blessing of God. Isn't that a blessing? Is that not just in the sheep pen, but out of the sheep pen, I can enjoy the blessings of God. Why? Because it's not the sheep pen, it's the shepherd. It's not the sheep pen. It's the shepherd. The shepherd can go in. He can go out. That means inside that sheep pen where I get my safety, where I get my haven. Listen up. This is real good. That sheep pen is my protection. That's my haven. And then when I get outside of that, I kind of worry, right? Sometimes I wonder if I'm right with God. You ever thought about that? Sometimes I'm like, you know, I don't think I'm living for Jesus Christ because I'm not in the sheep pen. I'm out of it. My friend, the blessing of God is this, is that even if you're out of the sheep pen, if you're following God's will, I mean, he'll take care of you. He'll provide your needs. But out there is a cruel world, pastor. Out there is horrible. I mean, outside of church, you know, outside of my quiet time with God. It's just a wreck outside in the world. You're right. There's a wreck. There's suffering. But you know what? Jesus Christ is always inside you. And because you're following the shepherd, he provides all your needs and his promises are still running, bless God. No matter how great your pain and suffering is in the world, no matter how great your pain or suffering is in the world. It's a cruel world out there. But life is still God, baby, because I got the shepherd. What if you're in the third world country? What if you're, you know, away from Bible Baptist Church and God called you someplace else? Life is still good because you got Jesus Christ, man. Man. 1 Peter 1.8, the Bible says, Whom having not seen ye love, and whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Ephesians 3.8 says, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? You know, the joys of the Lord is not something you limit. It's not something you can write specifically. It's unlimited. It's out there. Baby, this world ain't enough. We're going to own the entire universe, if not beyond that. All things in God's hands one day. I serve an unlimited God. Man, what a blessing. What a joy of the Lord. All you have to do is just uh, believe and wait. Just believe and wait in your sheep pen. Just enjoy a good time inside that sheep pen. I mean, it, I know you... You, you want something more out there. You're waiting for that thing to happen, that good thing to happen, and God never gives it to you. Look, just enjoy the good that you got now. 
inside the sheep pen. All right, don't waste your time. Just enjoy time inside the sheep pen. That way, when God gives you something outside of the sheep pen, you can enjoy those things too. And life is so great in Jesus Christ. Who stole your joy? Who stole your joy? Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. My, third point, uh, my first point is the other ways of the sheep pen. My second point is the outdoors of the sheep pen. And my third point is the outsider of the sheep pen. Look at verse 4. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Now, uh, I want to clarify right here. When I pr uh, quote these verses, I'm only applying it to practical living, not to salvation. In salvation, we are Christ's sheep. We can never get out of that. Uh, we can never follow the strangers or belong to the strangers or get caught or killed by the thief. In salvation. There's no doubt about that. But then when we, we can apply some stuff here to practical living. You can take a doctrine out of the verse and see some things that are applicable for practical living. So when we look at practical living right here, there are times, this is not outside of salvation I'm speaking about, but uh, outside of your Christian walk I'm getting at, outside of your joy. You let a thief steal you from that. Get out of that. Uh, you let, basically, you let a stranger's voice be listened and you follow that stranger, and you don't listen to the voice of Jesus Christ. You know, wouldn't saved sheep naturally know Jesus' voice and not the stranger's? That's what Jesus said, is that his saved sheep, they should know what his voice is. And if you look at that verse, if it's a stranger's voice, they'd run away. They wouldn't follow. Then why is it in practical living today, we see a bunch of Christians following the voice of strangers? I'll tell you something better out there. There is another way to joy. Get out of that sheep pen. Follow me. Uh, why is it that we know their voices, but then we don't, get, we don't know the voice of God? God says, hey, you need to surrender that thing so you can attain better joy. You need to do that thing so that you can gain better joy from me. Hey, child, follow me right here so that you can be happy. That voice is foreign to us. That voice, when we hear it from the preaching of the word of God, is offensive to us. And to us sheep, that scares us, the voice of Jesus, not the voice of strangers. Wow. Why is that? I mean, the verse says right here, his saved sheep should naturally know his voice. What would change everything? Look at Deuteronomy 11 and Judges 2. I'll tell you what will change it. Go to Deuteronomy 11 and Judges 2. Deuteronomy 11 and Judges chapter 2. The reason why you would follow strangers' voices and you don't follow the voice of Jesus Christ is given in one simple statement. You wonder, but the Bible says to say sheep naturally they do naturally follow the voice of jesus not the voice of strangers yes but why is it in practical living we don't see that why is it we don't see that when that should be the natural thing when that should be the common sense thing if you are jesus saved sheep you should follow his voice not strangers so why is it that it doesn't make sense that we would follow the strangers voices 
because of one statement here. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 11, verse 28. Look at this. And a curse if ye will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside, what? Out of the way. See, other ways, right? You're not in the way. You go other ways, which I command you this day, to go after other gods. Do you know them? No, which ye have not known. They're strangers. They're strangers. They're gods you don't know, but yet you follow them. Why is that? Go to Judges 2. Here's the answer. Judges chapter 2. And then we'll look at verse 10. It's because those voices were not known at the beginning, but you chose to follow them. When you chose to follow them, they became more familiar to you. You started to learn their voices. You started to understand the meanings behind the voices. You got so friendly now and loving with the voice that you became more familiar with the stranger after that and pretty soon your master, Jesus Christ, you've forgotten what his voice sounded like. Get out of church for a couple months, you're going to forget God's voice one day as you follow other voices out there. You're going to forget what he talked to you, what he ministered to you that helped you. That's what's going to happen. Jesus' voice will become a stranger to you, not the Savior to you anymore. Look at Judges chapter 2 and verse 10. Notice that the Bible says, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which what? Knew not the Lord. Look at verse 12. 12. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them. Wait a minute, how can they follow gods that they didn't know, and then reject the voice of the Lord that they should know? It's because the verse already told you, they didn't know the Lord. When you start making Jesus' voice foreign to you, where you don't know, and you keep following the voice of strangers, you're going to start to know them better. And it is sad that the reason why people, Christians are still immature in their thinking, in their emotions, in their future decisions they do, is because they're more familiar with the natural man's way of doing things rather than getting familiar with God's way of doing things. What does that mean? You know more of the stranger's way of doing things. And God's way of doing things is new to you. It's hard to you. It's foreign to you. It's unbelievable. It shouldn't be, my friend. No. It shouldn't be, but it became that way. If you knew your Savior more, right? Lord, I don't know why you put me down this path. It's kind of hard, and uh, Lord, there's suffering right here, and people are going to make fun of me, and I'm all alone. People think I'm not right with God. And look, if you knew your Savior more, you wouldn't have any fear going down that path. If you had a strong relationship with Jesus Christ, you're familiar with his way of doing things and how he gave you peace and how he blessed your life out, out of that and how he took care of your life, 
with the manifold blessings and untold millions of answered prayers and God's provision in your life, if you were so familiar and you knew that full well deep down inside your heart, you wouldn't hesitate to take that path that he told you to go. But you hesitate. You fear that path because it's new to you. It's foreign, which means you're not familiar with Jesus Christ. Sometimes I have to ask about your Bible reading and prayer life. How often you attended church, study the Word of God. That's why God is so foreign to you. And when God is so foreign to you, that's why His way of doing things in your life become foreign to you as well. And scary and new. But, you know, the flesh's way of doing things is not new to us. It's so familiar. It's not foreign to us. It's comfortable to us. It's not inconvenient to us. It's the most convenient way. That's why you keep falling back into the fleshly way of doing things to receive your joy. Because it's so comfortable, familiar, something you know better. More than the Lord. What if we were to switch that around? How much would your life transform and your walk with Jesus Christ would be much more happy? My fourth point is the open doors of the sheep pen. The open doors of the sheep pen. Look at verses 6 through 9. Verses 6 through 9 of John 10. <clears throat> Notice right here, this parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Do you believe that Jesus is that open door? Do you believe that Jesus Christ he is the only way to heaven and that the gates of heaven can open wide? Because Jesus Christ is that very door. I mean the keyhole and the doorknob and the latchet and all the panel. I mean, he's... He's got it all. He can open up that door for you. My friend, that open door is so wide that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I serve a Jesus Christ who's got the open door and no Pope named Peter's got the keys and no Roman Catholic priest got the keys that can shut up heaven for me. Jesus Christ is the open door in my life. Man, what a, what a blessing. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I got an open door named Jesus Christ and I want to tell it to all the world that you and you and you and you and all the people out there on the streets, if I can point them out, that any of you can go through that open door. My Jesus is the open door. And it grieves us that people reject us. It grieves us people are so blind and they think that there is other doors that they have to go through. It grieves us that no matter how many times you tell them the joy inside, how they can go through the open door, they say, no, it's too late for me. No, I can't see that. My friend, it's never too late. That door is still open. Yes. Yeah. That Amen. door is still open. And he's giving everyone a chance, yeah. every one of you a chance to get saved. Doesn't that grieve us? Doesn't that grieve us? Of course it does then I have to ask you this question, if that grieves you, about people rejecting open doors. Are the open doors in your life, from Jesus, the door, the only way, the doorknob, the key, the latchet and everything, the panel? I mean, is he the door, the open door in your life? Or is it your open door? Is your open door in life 
your own, not Jesus Christ? Doesn't it, doesn't it grieve you that you're kind of like that lost sinner where that open door has always been open all that time, but you refuse to go through it? An open door to God's blessing, an open door to something better in life, an open door where God wants to use you. Who would fear? Who would run away from that? Who would despise it? Who would be uninterested in that? Who would? What a grievous thing. That's very sad. That's why you're not happy, you know that? It's because you never went through that door, Jesus Christ. The open doors in your life are your own. And those doors are never happy. Forced open doors never give you joy. Forced open doors never give you joy. It's got to be Jesus Christ who opens the door. Who guides you along in life. Every time you try to force a door open and insist that God is in it and you prayed about it and that you've seen God answering it, you do know deep down inside your heart you're the one that forced it open. And then God has nothing to do with it. And that's why you're still miserable and unhappy. Why don't you go through Jesus' open door? I see an open door in job opportunity, an open door in school, an open door uh, with a relationship with someone, an open door with this, an open door with that. Did you force those doors open? Is truly the Lord's will behind it every step you take? That's why those doors you've forcibly opened, you're, about, uh, you're, you're forcing it open all the time and you're jamming it, you're trying to nail it open and you're working so hard to keep it open, it's making you miserable. And you insist that the door is open every time the door wants to close. Because God is the one who opens doors and closes doors. The Bible says at Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, he mentioned, if you look at that passage, I shut the door that no man can open. And I open the door and no man can shut it. Closed doors are intended for your best. They're intended for your joy. Because God knows that door is not going to give you an open joy. That door is not going to give you real joy. Let's close that. I know what you really need. Not a better pay. Not an easier life. Not this and that. It's this one. He opens it. And that door, my friend, listen, is still open for you, just like Jesus Christ kept that door still open for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I mean, the invitation's so open. Take it, man. The, open, the door is still wide open, but you refuse to take it. Psalm 81, 10 mentioned, open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. My friend, if I see that open door, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to open it wider. Make it as wide as I can. Take full advantage of it and enjoy the blessing of God. But why is it you always ignore it? Why is it you pretend it's not open? And you try to find other open doors and beg God for those open doors. When God says no. And God says this is your open door. Do you want to be happy? Do you really want to be happy or do you prefer to follow your decision? Do you prefer to follow your decision or true happiness? What do you want? The Bible says right here in verse 10, 
Verse 10, my fifth point is the offender of the sheep pen. The offender of the sheep pen. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus Christ is different. He's not the thief. He wants to give you life and not just life eternal, but more abundant life. That's why joy is unlimited. I mean, he gives you not just salvation, not just a home in heaven, rewards. He gives you rulership in this world and all things, all things. And the unlimited riches of the spiritual blessings of God and not just spiritual, but my friend, physical. And not just physical, sometimes even fleshly. And not just fleshly, sometimes even mental. And not just mental, sometimes even emotional. The blessings of God are unlimited. And he wants to give it to you. Life more abundant. Life more abundant. But the thief wants to kill it. He wants to steal it. He wants to destroy it. When a lot of us read that passage, we know that's the devil, obviously. He's a thief. But didn't you know... This is going to sound strange to some of you, but you do see it that way. Some of you, when you look at that verse, <coughs> you may not say it consciously. You may not say it when you read the verse. But somewhere inside the heart unconsciously, that verse, you think the thief to be Jesus, not the devil. Okay, come on. What? The thief killed, destroyed Jesus? No. Yeah, you do. You know why you think that way? Well, because when you're in your sheep pen and then you're enjoying all your joys in life, all your blessings, this is great, a good life. This is what I want. God, please don't take it away from me. God, please don't destroy this. And there are times that God has tried to tell you that's a closed door, closed door, but you kept it forced open and you're enjoying the temporary joys in life. And you're like, this is good. This is good. You know, that preacher was wrong. He said that sin would have a price, that I would reap what I sow, and that this joy is temporary, and that I wouldn't really enjoy it. I'm enjoying a good time from what I think. But then that fear is in the back of your mind, that payday will come, that God will chastise you, that that could be taken away from you. And you're like, God, don't you dare destroy my dream. Some people don't want the rapture, you know that? You know why they don't want the rapture? They have it too good here. The rapture would ruin everything. I still got plans, I gotta get married, I gotta have kids, I got my retirement plans, I got this job opportunity, you know, a promotion coming up, and Lord, in the ministry, I can build more things, and I can see my vision coming to life in my service for you in church, and Oh God, uh, we're about to get a nice building and don't take that away from me. And then we treat him like a thief. And you know what? The Bible points out that when he comes for us, it's like a thief. Thief in the night. Didn't you know the Bible says that Luke chapter 12, verse 39 through 40, and this know that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh out at an hour when he think not. Now I know you're all Bible believers. You're thinking, no, that's wrong, pastor. Doctrinally, that's the second advent, not the rapture. I get it, you doctrinal Bible believer, you. Let's take something practical out of it, can we? Something spiritual out of it. Yeah. 
can't we apply it practically, spiritually, Absolutely. where you're lost in the world, in your sheep pen, enjoying life, and then all of a sudden, it's like a thief, all of a sudden, it's just stolen away from you just like that? Literally, one call from the shepherd, he leadeth them out by name, boom, it's taken away from you, your riches. It's like it's stolen. And here you are at the judgment seat of Christ. Where are your riches now? Where are your joys now? Where are your big plans that you're enjoying right now? Turn into a big bonfire at the judgment seat of Christ. Destroyed utterly. Your dreams killed. Your desires killed. And all those things don't matter because everything is dead at the judgment seat of Christ. All you got is ashes. Jesus Christ will be like a thief to you who steals and kills and destroys it all. Why? Because we're not talking about Jesus' Jesus's sheep pen right here. In Luke chapter 12, the good man of the house is the devil there. You know what we're talking about? We're talking about the devil's sheep pen. We're talking about your own sheep pen. See, when the devil tries to take you away from God's sheep pen, he's a thief. When Jesus takes you out of the devil's sheep pen, takes you out of this world, it's like a thief to you. You treat him like a thief to you. You killed, you destroyed my life. Rather than our hero, rather than our savior. Thank you, God, you got me out of this God-forsaken wicked world. That would be in our minds. But no, we treat him like a thief. You killed my dreams, you destroyed my vision. And Lord, don't take this away from me. And you treat him like a thief. <laughs> Guess what? It will feel that way at the judgment seat of Christ. It's going to feel that way that your life is all destroyed just like that. Why? Because you found your joys in the wrong place, buddy. You got the wrong sheep pen, buddy. What's in your sheep pen? Are you in the right sheep pen? How brutal the judgment seat of Christ will be that you're begging for mercy, but it's as if there's no mercy and everything is up in smokes. Paul knew full well that he said in 2 Timothy 1.18, the Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. The judgment seat of Christ. Look at verse 11 through 13. The obtainer of the sheep pen. The obtainer of the sheep pen. In verse 11 through 13. Notice that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd at verse 11. But then verse 12 through 13, the hireling is not the shepherd. What is a hireling? He's paid to watch over the sheep. You know one thing, I, two things you can notice about the hireling here. Two things is he gains self-benefit from it, from doing the work of a shepherd. And number two, we don't really think about this, he is doing the work of a shepherd. You know, we think that we're right with God, that I'm doing right. I'm in the sheep pen. I'm following the shepherd. But my friend, it's not the shepherd. But he's caring for me. He's nurturing for me. My prayers are getting answered, it looks like. It seems like when I'm doing this that God is blessing it. And my friend, those actions of a shepherd are not really the shepherd himself. It's a hireling who does the actions of a shepherd that tricked you into thinking that, hey, the joys that you've got are what the shepherd gave to you. But they're not. They're from a hireling. They're from a hireling. How do I really know that? The verse exposes the hireling with the shepherd. 
The shepherd at verse 11 gives up his life, correct? The hireling does not at verse 12. When the wolf comes, the hireling flees. He doesn't give up his life. Are you really happy with the decisions you made in your life? The current joys that you think you have? All right. Then when the wolf comes, is that joy taken away? Has that joy been helping you? That joy should help you. That joy should protect you. If that joy is given from the real shepherd who's protecting you from the wolf. But if some wolf comes in your life and tears you apart, rips you in half, and you see everything torn into shreds, and you're like, why God? Why is this happening to me? Maybe because you were never living in the will of God all this time, like you thought. Maybe there's something in your life you followed outside of the will of God that you mistaken it to be the will of God. Why? Because it's the shepherd taking care of me. I see the shepherd blessing me in this. I see the shepherd guiding me through this. I'm following the shepherd as best as I could. My friend, that's a hireling. A lot of time we mix up God's will. God forbid. This is what we're guilty of. We mix up God's will in our own joys in life in our own decisions of joys in life. Sometimes God's way is not your way. But you insist, no, I want to go this way, my way, my way. And then you forcibly make the door open. You've forcibly put God into it, and now you've turned God into a hireling. How's your joy holding up, huh? You happy with your decisions in the workplace? Your decisions in your home, the things you bought that you own in your home, in your life, the relationships you made, the things you got involved in this church with the people, you really happy? You think that you made the right decisions? You've been a good boy or a big girl? You've been a good boy, good girl? You think so? You think God is really in it? Or... Are they your fleshly choices? But they're spiritual. They're godly. No, no, you just made it spiritual godly. You just forced that door open. That you've turned the good shepherd into a hireling, man. You got a hireling? How can I tell when that wolf is tearing you apart? When that wolf, your joy is not holding up to that wolf. That shepherd, your shepherd's not holding you up through that wolf, is he? You think that shepherd's guarding you, protecting you, but you're being gnawed by a wolf and you're being eaten up and blood is, and guts are spilling up and your body is being torn to shreds and you insist that your Job and the good shepherd is lifting you up and holding you intact when you don't realize you never got a shepherd. That so-called shepherd ran away a long time ago, buddy, because that was a hireling. That shepherd abandoned you. That shepherd left you. Why? You got a hireling, not a shepherd. How do I know I got the real joy? How do I know that I'm living the will of God? I got the real thing. Because when that wolf comes, and I've seen those wolves come, I'm a survivor, man. I've seen miracles where God kept the devils at bay. 
I've seen where I was like that sheep who was getting slaughtered at Romans 8. All we like sheep being laid as lambs to the slaughter. And yet the shepherd kept my life intact and protected me, gave me breath another day, and continually gave me joy. That's why I know I got the real thing. How about you? You got the real thing? My seventh point is the offer of the sheep pen. The offer of the sheep pen. Look at verses 14 through 18. 14, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. Six, uh, if you read 15, 16, 17, 18, that's a good shepherd. Now, normally, a shepherd, and we're talking about a real shepherd, not a fake one, not a hireling, okay? We're talking about the real shepherd. Even a very good shepherd who takes care of the animals, you know what that shepherd does at the end? Gain some kind of benefit out of it. Needs the fleece. The shepherd would even kill the, the lamb. Why? Maybe for a burnt offering sacrifice or for eating. Even a good shepherd will eat the sheep at the end. Do you realize that? That's a natural thing. That's a normal thing. We all know that. Jesus Christ, it's very strange. He never chooses to eat us. He instead, it's unthinkable, it is unthinkable that a shepherd would be the one to die, would be the one to be killed, rather than the sheep. Yeah. It's normal that the sheep should give up the life for the shepherd, wow. for the shepherd to eat. But no, it's unthinkable that in this case, Jesus Christ is the shepherd who gives his life for the sheep instead. That's some good shepherd, man. That in John chapter 20, Jesus said, feed my lambs. <laughs> See, uh, he doesn't feast on us. He feeds us instead. That's a good shepherd. He offered his life. He offered everything he had to give me joy. To give me joy. Do you realize that, my friend? Well, I worked hard. I served him. My friend, your service is this small compared to what Jesus did for you. And my friend, all that you do, all that you sacrifice will never pay that back. It doesn't change the fact the shepherd gives more to you than what you and I can give him. You know, <clears throat> I met a good number of parents who went through poor backgrounds. Korean families especially, you know. The parents, they, I've seen some families where they would work hard, sacrifice, do double jobs, triple jobs, work late at nights, just to pay for the kid's schooling. And the kid, they grow up in that life seeing mom and dad who comes home late at night, exhausted, tired, beaten up. But they just keep on going. And I've seen some of those children where it eats them. They're like, why would you do that for me? All they have to do is just, the mom and dad would say, look, I'm doing this so that I can get you to a good college someday. Some of those kids, when they grow up, they feel so guilty, they want to help out family. So then they go to college while working in a job. Try to help out the family. But then there are some families that I've seen that says, no, 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 you don't have to worry about that. I'll do it all for you. Just go. Just go. Then the kid becomes uh, successful after that. And then the kid wants to, I've seen them when they've grown up, some of them, they just want to, 
payback the parent. And then the parent's like, no, no, it's okay, you don't have to. Nah, it's okay, I, I did it so that you can be happy. That's all I care about. You don't have to give me anything. And then, especially some Koreans and families that I've seen where they would, you know, weep and they would tell others or give a testimony, you know, my mom and my dad, I thank the Lord for them where they would just go through sleepless nights and work so hard to give me a play, to make sure things are better for me. And they're not rich, they're poor. They live in a small house, share bedrooms. It's not a comfortable life, but they're so grateful and they're too happy that they don't have time to be discontented or to complain. But I've seen plenty of people in America who are privileged, who are handed out, and then they think that this is what they deserve, this is what they should get. And then they grow up miserable, spoiled, rotten, and even commit suicide. They're never happy. Never happy. Strange. Richer class people not happy, but then this poor class, why are they so happy? Why does America qualify as one of the most unhappiest uh, nations in the world? You ever wonder that? Why is that? Why is that? What's the difference between the two? And then the Lord opened my eyes and showed me something. The key difference is that one group is so touched by one sacrifice that they were so grateful. And gratitude washes away the ungratefulness, the complaint, the misery. Too much lost in gratitude would make one so happy. Why? Because they're too touched by the person's sacrifice. You know, I know that the Christian life, it's not easy. And I know the devil attacks. And I know sometimes we might have one of the worst places compared to average human beings here. But man, my friend, it doesn't matter how poor you think you are or low class you are. We've seen our father, how he tirelessly was long-suffering with our failures, so patient with our slow spiritual growth, where he put up with our complaint, our blaming towards him, our ungratefulness, and that father, even though the spirit of the Holy Spirit is grieved inside, just loves us and continues to bless us. Blesses us when we don't even ask him for the blessing too. You know, we got too much of a father who sacrificed so much that he would give up his very own life. Have five permanent scars for life. And when I see my dad with those scars as he's tirelessly laboring for me, day and night, without a moment's rest. His patience is everlasting. His gentleness is deep. When I see that, I can't help but tears go down my eyes. And I stop complaining about the poverty life that I live in. But I just say, thank you, Dad. I'm just too happy I'm just so thankful that I just want to somehow pay you back when I grow up a bit in my spiritual walk. When I get there, Lord, uh, Lord, I want to do something. Can I work something for you now, maybe, Lord? Maybe work a little bit, you know, and then kind of pay you back a bit. And then the father goes, 
you're okay where you are now. You're okay. I got you. And then my, I'm just so overjoyed. I say, thank you. Thank you, Lord. A deep gratitude touched by one's sacrifice washes away all that poverty and misery that I think I'm feeling. Didn't you know even the saddest events in the Christian life, like a loved one going away, even if a saved loved one dies and goes away, the father turns it into something good where that person's with me in heaven. And that's why only in Christian funerals, it's mingled with sadness and joy. Only a Christian funeral can have something touching like that. Even in my failures and the times I let God down, things that I think are mistakes in life the wrong way, even sad events like that, God promised me all things work together for good. You see, the sadness is replaced by gratitude instead. Oh, why is this happening to me? Why does God even have to turn that into something good? He didn't have to. Aren't you thankful that this bad thing, yes, it's sad, it's horrible, but aren't you at least thankful? Thankful that, oh, thank you, God, that this is not the end for me. This is just the beginning. You're going to turn it into something good. Who stole your joy? What sad, tragic, miserable, ugly, violent, horrible thing what wolf has stolen your joy when you got a loving shepherd who constantly offers up his life and his work and labor to feed you daily and provide your needs? I don't know about you, but I get touched when I get so thankful when I'm so lost in thankfulness. Thank you, God, for salvation. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ. And I do it this way, too. My loved one died, but thank you that he or she is in heaven. I'm losing finances, but thank you. You promised that you'll provide my need. I had some things in the church where something unhappy happened to me, but thank you, Lord, that the brethren have been praying for me and loved me. And, you know, when I get so lost in gratitude like that, my joy remains. My joy remains, and I feel touched. That when tears come down my eyes, it's not misery, it's not tears of pain, but tears of joy, like I've seen in countless Christian funerals. Do you want to be touched by God so much? You want the touch of God? That the misery just is washed away by tears of gratitude. Gratitude. Just thank him. Just thank him. Just thank him with all your heart. Just thank him with all your might. Just thank him and ponder on the blessings. And just be grateful that even the bad, that you would turn into something good. Just be so lost in gratitude. Just thank him the rest of your days with every breath that you can breathe. Just thank him so much inside that the touch of God will feel so much inside you and those tears of misery could be turned into tears of joy. Just thank him now. Thank him now. Every head bow and every eye shut.
How many of you are miserable 